The content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client situation is different. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor. You're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome everyone to Bare Naked Money. Somewhere in the high teens is the episode number at this point. That's our, our thought process anyway, ahead of this conversation. And today we are very happy to be joined by Carol Bezaire. She is the Vice President of Tax, Estate, and Strategic Philanthropy at McKenzie Investments. Carol, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Great. So, Carol, I attended a webinar that you put on with McKenzie a couple months ago on cottage succession planning. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that this was such a, a hot button topic these days. We have clients all across the board looking to pass their cottage on to their heirs, their children, their grandchildren, whatever it is, in the most intelligent way possible. And you've had some great ideas through that podcast that I thought would be wonderful to just dig into a little bit deeper. So I just want to kick it off with this question right off the bat. I'm 65. I have a cottage. How do I go about passing it on? What options do I have to pass it on to the next generation? Well, there's a few options, Josh. The first one for your kids would be gifting it. Might want to sell it, which is has its own pitfalls that we'll talk about. And also there might be a virtual sale. Might want to put it into uh, the cottage property into a trust for the rest of the family. There's a number of different ways, but what we want to try to do is help your clients reduce the tax liability that they may be faced because that's why they're stuck with the cottage. It's like, I bought it for 40000 some years ago, and now on the market, I could get $1.5 So what the heck do I do now? Yeah, cl clients are often way better positioned to talk about why they bought the cottage. And many of them have never thought it all the way through to the end. Right. And my experience over the number of years has been it's a moving target. So one of the challenges that we deal with on an ongoing basis is somebody had a plan and that the plan fell apart because the kids weren't that into it or not into it at all. Or there's, we'll also talk a little bit about the, the nuances of what if things don't work out according to plan because all the strategies that we're going to talk about, uh, have, you know, some kind of a commitment and some kind of potential issue with unwinding. If you decide you don't like one of your children or they decide that they don't want to participate in the family meeting when they were 16. And they're now 40 and they've changed their mind. So we'll talk about some of those real life uh, wrinkles that can get throwing at plans like this. And what does it take to unwind some of the things we're talking about as well? Yeah, that's great, Colin. It, and it becomes a, a broader discussion with the family about not just the cottage succession planning, but overall estate planning. Especially if all of a sudden you don't like one of the children or they don't like you. There's so many different things going on that have been exacerbated by the pandemic where people really have to think about this. And this is why it's so great 
that financial advisors get involved in the discussion because it keeps it flowing and keeps people thinking. Many times, you know, the, the client has got a lot of memories attached to a property and they want those memories to live forever. And they feel that by making sure the kids use the property, those memories will keep living when oftentimes adult children have their own memories they're making with their own families. So having an honest family conversation about how much people really are interested in keeping the family property in the family is important because sometimes a couple hundred thousand dollars cash money sounds way more attractive than having a, a lake property that's five hours from my house that I'm responsible to maintain. So again, having those open conversations before even you get to this actual executing a strategy is, is also very crucial to this conversation. Totally. I totally agree. Yep. Yeah. Great. So let's assume that conversation has been had and we're sitting around the table, <laughs> us and the kids, we decide, yes, the, the kids want to inherit the property. They want to maintain it. They want to drive five hours to it every weekend in the summer. You mentioned Carol tax, which I think is maybe the first and foremost thing that things that clients think about when considering passing on this cottage to their heirs, their beneficiaries. So let's just keep a very high level to start with. And what tax implications are there for gifting or selling or passing the cottage to your children in a will? Great question, Josh. So it depends on the structure of what this is the value of the property. So for example, if it's a gift, then under the income tax act, like we don't make this up, it's under the income tax act. If it's a capital property or personal property, then the gift is going to be no cash from the kids. It's a gift, but it's a deemed disposition to the parents. So capital gains tax is payable. If it's a sale, then the full value of the property is taxable to the parents as a deemed disposition, but the kids, which may be a problem, may want to pay less than fair market value. So their adjusted cost base becomes what they paid for it. So there could be double taxation in there. And sometimes in a virtual sale, which I mentioned, no cash will pass through the hands of anyone, but it is a planning opportunity to look at the opportunity to perhaps spread the capital gains tax liability over a maximum of five years for the period. And they pay the same amount of tax, but just included over a five-year period, they may have less tax to pay on that. So there's different ways to structure everything. Maybe just to jump in for a second, Carol, because we all fall into this from time to time, things like adjusted cost base and deemed disposition, just for the, the, the benefit of our, our listeners, mm -hmm. a deemed disposition is basically, it's treated as if it was sold. So we are giving it to a relative for free. It's treated like a sale from a tax perspective, because again, you didn't pay any income tax on that profit. And it's, so it's a deferred gain or a gain you didn't pay tax on yet. So if you just give it to somebody, that doesn't mean you didn't make any money on it. You're going to have to include that on your income that year. And yeah. Carol, your point about spreading that over five years can be huge because income tax planning and trying to even out income tax over time is a big deal. But for those out there who think, well, I'll just give it to my kids. That's not a problem. Easy. Slow your roll. Yeah. It's going to get noticed. And there are tax liabilities just because you don't pay attention to them doesn't mean they're not there. Correct. And, and now after 2016, you actually have to record the movement of the property on your uh, schedule three on your income tax return, whether it's your principal residence or your cottage property. What CRA is looking at is if you want to finish 
any tax liability with CRA on your property, then that is, as Colin mentioned, a deemed disposition or a real disposition. It's going to be taxable when you do that. Anytime you finish your CRA, there's going to be tax, whether you die, whether you move out of the country, or you gift your property over to your kids. Only two certainties in life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so else, sorry, Josh, just as a bit of a follow-up, and maybe it's beyond the scope of this conversation, and feel free, this part can get edited out. What about the, the concept where the, the cottage is really a lakeside house? Mm-hmm. Uh, the family has spent, you know, arguably similar amounts of time in each. And the whole nuance around declaring a person residence at time of either sale or date disposition. Can we give any guidance to our listeners on the, at least the questions they should be asking or the variables of play? and making a deemed, making a determination as to whether something's a principal residence or not? Perfect. We get a lot of questions on that, Colin. So the principal residence exemption can only be claimed on one property as the principal residence. But when you have a cottage property as your principal residence in the city or whatever, and for the number of years you've held both of those properties, you can actually split the principal residence exemption when you sell one or the other property. And it is a mathematical calculation that I help advisors with all the time. You can say of the, let's say, 20 years that I own my cottage and my principal residence, depending on where the capital gain exposure is larger, you may want to use the whole 20 years exemption on the principal residence in town. But there's this magic one year that's left over principal residence exemption for people who are Canadian residents when they purchased a property since 2016, you get an extra year. So it's a year, partial year. You may have bought the cottage and your principal residence in July of one year. So you get a whole year. So if you accept the 20 years on your principal residence, you can still use one year to exempt part of the capital gain on the other property. You don't have to worry about declaring the principal residence until you actually dispose of one of the properties. And just for our listeners, that doesn't mean a husband and wife each get a separate principal residence for the time you're married. Stop it. If they thought of that, there's really good rules (laughs) against it. They're not smarter than everybody else. Just sit down and listen. Yeah, that's right. Right. Now, Kara, so just to go back to a couple of things that you mentioned there. So one, yes, you can make this principal residence a determination when you sell the property. So that's great. Now let's assume we're at this position where we've determined, okay, we're going to pass the cottage on. We know that there's going to be a pretty large capital gain. It's not really avoidable. We, we can't use the principal residence exemption. You mentioned the idea of a virtual sale before. Maybe you can flesh out exactly what that means for people, because I think it's a really interesting planning technique that might be a little bit under the radar. It totally is, Josh. Thanks for bringing that up. So there is in the Income Tax Act a section that discusses the capital gains reserve. And that capital gains reserve is allowed for anyone who sells a capital property, which a cottage would be, for example, but doesn't get all the proceeds at one point. So for example, if a business owner sells their shares and they can't get exempted, they may want to structure their sale over a five-year period. So it works with the cottage property as well. So what happens is the children, as long as the parents don't need the money for their retirement, the children can take out a demand loan 
in a promissory note. So let's say that your client, John, has a cottage that's worth about 600000 now. Paid 100000 for it. If he sells it to the children, then he's got a $500,000 capital gain. So he's going to have to include 250000 in his taxes because the capital gain is always included at 50% until the government changes it. So 50%. So he's going to have a tax bill on that 250000 If on the other hand, the kids say, hey, dad, we love this cottage property. We promise to pay you 600000 so here's the promissory note, demand loan, because this is not an investment property. It's a personal use property. There's no interest on it. So no interest payments, no nothing. The legal ownership changes over to the kids. So takes the property out of the probate process for John. And then because John hasn't received any cash for this, he can then divide his 250000 into a $50,000 chunk over the next five years and pay tax on the 50,000, not the 250. So he's still gonna pay the same amount of capital gain, but he's gonna pay at his marginal tax rate over five years. And then what you have to do is have John change his will and forgive the loan in his will, or it's gonna be a bad debt. So this is just giving the kids their inheritance early. And if dad doesn't meet and need the money, this saves dad quite a bit of tax. So really interesting there. Now, I think Colin and I, we always question like, what can go wrong? And, <laughs> and this is a big part of this conversation. Like what can go wrong? Is there any pitfall or, or something that can go wrong with that type of approach? With the virtual sale, the only thing that could go wrong is if all of a sudden the relationship between the children and John, the dad, goes sour. But the good part is if they decide they don't like dad anymore and they're locking them out of the cottage, he can call the demand loan. So either pay me 600000 and get out of it, or I, get, I still get to come up to the cottage when I want. So there's always a, a push and a pull on that, whether it is gifting and all of a sudden you don't own it anymore and the kids lock you out. There's joint ownership that you can do as well that we'll probably talk about at some point. But it is, it's the pros and the cons and talk to your advisor about the best thing in your own personal circumstances. The tax doesn't have to be the big driver. It is what's in your heart and your head and get it done right in your situation. So your imagination is not quite as fulsome as it could be because again, having been around the sun a few times, it also falls down to the credit worthiness of the child. And if they have credit issues, it's their asset. Or if they get divorced mm -hmm. or if their spouse decides that they want to exercise their rights. Because again, I've got situations on the book right now where mom and dad have done that, gifted the property to the kids and the kids agreed around the campfire. Sure. You guys can come up here as long as your mom and dad are still kicking around in their mid eighties, still like to go to the camp and the kids are going, I could seriously use this money. And <sighs> spouses of kids are going, yeah, we could use this money. It's way more important that we blah, 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 blah. So. It's not, it doesn't have to be the relationship between parent and child that goes sideways. There can sometimes be extraneous factors that can interfere uh, with the intention that a passing of the ownership of the property is going to still allow for access to the property. And again, some of it's outside of the control or outside of the best intentions of everybody involved. Exactly. And that's where documenting Colin comes in so 
it's such an important piece of it. So it would almost be like a shareholder agreement. Let's take a look at the timing. Who can come up when? So we're not on top of each other. Who's responsible for the maintenance costs? You have to clean up after yourself. If your family has been in the cottage and somebody else is coming up, then as your brother or sister, I don't want to have to clean up your mess. So rules of engagement, if you're doing this with family members, because you just never know when you start living with another family member, they were maybe a bit of a slob when they were younger and have they changed or are they still the same? You're in favor of the Sheldon Cooper roommate agreement then? Yes, I am. Okay. Because <laughs> that's pretty much what yeah, you're describing. Exactly. And it comes in handy with a lot of, because then they just automatically set up a roster and, and then you can plan ahead. And if you're going to switch a week, you just know which sibling you're going to talk to, to switch the week. Great suggestion there. And we're talking now about change of ownership of the property. And I guess there are multiple ways to do that, right, Carol? Instead of mm -hmm. gifting, instead of doing this virtual sale, you can also put children on title. You can. And yeah, there's a full bag of hammers that comes along with that. So maybe you can walk us through some of the different options that a cottage owner would have with putting their children on title and what that means in terms of pros and cons. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. So we have a lot of clients who think it's a great idea to sell the property first to their kids for a dollar. Well, if you do that, the issue is the capital gain is totally taxable to the parent at fair market value, but the kid now has an adjusted cost base, which is what they're going to be taxed on for capital gains purposes later down the road of $1. So you could have double taxation on that cottage property. So it's either gift or sell. If on the other hand, as you mentioned, Josh, you want to put the kids on title, then there's two different ways or three different ways of co-ownership. So the first one would be John puts his two kids on title and they have the use and part ownership of the cottage property. They can go up whenever they want. They now own one third. The two thirds that John has put the kids on, um, then it's taxable to him as a disposition. So he has to finish with CRA. Any capital gain going forward will be the two kids on their one third. Or John can put them on as joint owners, but only for estate planning purposes. So that is ease of transition. That gets documented by the lawyer at the time of this being done, which means that John still outright owns this property the kids don't until John passes away. So when that happens, the cottage property can move to the two kids outside of the probate process in Ontario. And that's why many people do that. But the entire capital gain upon death of John is going to be taxable in his final tax return. So the two of them, if it is a true joint ownership, then... The children's spouses, as Colin had mentioned, could attach to that if the marriage goes downhill, the relationship breaks down. If my husband or wife owned one third of this cottage property and unlocked that put into the divisible assets, because we both went up there, it's a marital asset. If it's for estate purposes only, then creditors and spouses 
can't claim that because the kids don't really own it. So it can't be attached at that point. So documentation as to what you're doing with that is really important. But you can see the differences between the taxation and the ownership. So door one, ownership, you have a partial realization of your capital gain now. And there's, I think, more risks that come along with that, with the actual ownership of the property with your children. Door two, you go through that door. There's maybe fewer risks today but you pay the entire capital gain on the date of death, essentially. Is it a good, good summary? Yes, good summary. And the, the issue, Josh, with the true joint ownership is also not that the parent comes this away, but one of the kids does. And then all of a sudden their estate plan says, my kids get my ownership of everything, gets all my estate. So that one third that mom or dad has all of a sudden it's divided amongst what two two children, nieces and nephews of the other owner and grandchildren of the parent. And how is that going to play in? It gets very complicated as you go down that road unless you've actually dealt with it within your estate and figured it out. So that that's place that my mind goes, Carol, and something that you talked at about at the outset is the idea of a trust and a family trust. And again, pros and cons involved with the family trust. So what is entailed with placing a property into a family trust? Pros and cons again. Okay, sure, Josh. So with a family trust, this is a great estate planning tool that guarantees that cottage property will remain with the family. So the cottage property goes in preferably when it's first purchased, because with a trust, it is an irrevocable, which means you can't take it back unless you're over the age of 65, which is a whole other story. But normally speaking, this becomes a formal trust with a trustee and the capital gains, because it's moving from the personal ownership into the ownership of the trust, it's going to be capital gains tax. Then every all of the capital gains tax will be taxed within the trust so the good part of that is you can name your children your grandchildren your not even conceived children or grandchildren as residual or after the fact beneficiaries but the parents continue to benefit from the value of the cottage the problem with the trust is it is a legal taxable entity so the trustee oversees it. There is a trust tax return for any income. You don't have to file one if there's no income. If it's just a cottage property, that's one thing. But with a trust, every 21 years, because the government doesn't want to wait for tax money forever, the capital gain or the gross in value of the cottage property gets taxed to the trust. So if this is a trust either set up under someone or set up during their lifetime, there has to be enough cash within the trust to pay the tax bill. So if the cottage property was uh, transferred over to the trust and it was worth 500000 at the time, and in 21 years it's worth a million, where is the trustee going to find the tax money? So that is one of the planning points. It's okay, do we move the trust out to the beneficiaries at their cost base? Because as a beneficial owner, you can always do that. 
or do we make sure that there is enough money in there to keep this trust rolling? So there's a lot of planning around that the, the lawyers are very good at discussing. And so I, I think a lot of this leads to the conversation about life insurance and trying to handle that eventual tax bill mm -hmm. in a way that, well, maybe with the life insurance, you're creating a, a tax-free asset to the beneficiaries. So is life insurance often something that you find yourself recommending to deal with the potential capital gain of a, a condo property? Absolutely. Josh, that is a great opportunity for the kids. So what they can do is they take the insurance policy on the lives of their parents who own the cottage. The kids then, instead of any disposition, any taxable dis disposition right away, the kids pay the premium. So they own the life insurance policy on the lives of their parents as long as they're insurable. So they're donating part of their money to make sure that the insurance is in place. So when the parents die, the insurance pays out and takes care of the tax bill. So that is one great opportunity to have a discussion with advisors about, let's take a look at the use of insurance in this, because it does, especially with skyrocketing prices out there in cottage country, it just makes a lot of sense to take a look at that as an option. And I guess this kind of brings a little bit full circle back to, if you listen to this whole podcast and you, you've been intimidated or, or scared by the complexities that we've talked about, you can just take a breath. If you do nothing and you own the property when you die, then your estate is going to have to, is going to give a choice, either come up with the tax bill or don't. And the kids at that time can come up with the tax bill or not. And the decision can be made then. If you do nothing, it doesn't mean that dogs and cats will start to live together and, you know, that the planet will start to boil. It just means that well, there's a tax consequence. And one step from a complexity perspective is for the parents to take out the insurance policy just to provide extra liquidity in the estate. And they mm -hmm. can change the purpose of that liquidity. And if the cottage is no longer needed, the life insurance policy be given to charity. It can be gifted directly to kids, you know, so at the, at the margins, there's some very simple, flexible things you can do. Now, if anything that we've talked about here today has, has triggered with you that you're a spreadsheet person and you want to go down some of these roads, warning would be to do so with a lot of advice from a really good accountant and a really good lawyer and a plugged in financial advisor, because you should understand all the different variables that you're getting involved in what the ongoing costs could be and how you see yourself dealing with some of the wrinkles that life tends to throw at you. By the time you get into your fifties and sixties, you should be very aware of that there's going to be wrinkles and you should be aware of those in, in, in trying to set up one of these plans for sure. Is there anything we didn't ask about Carol that you would like to add as sort of final thoughts? Um, sure, Josh, the one thing that I think people miss is when they set all of these plans in place for their cottage property, we have a very transient group of younger children. So what happens if you've put all your plans in place, your son and your daughter to inherit the cottage property, and then one of your children gets either married or finds a job in British Columbia, and then all of a sudden they no longer are interested in the cottage property at all, then you should also have another layer on 
what happens then? If they lose interest, is there a buy-sell agreement? Is there some kind of thing that you can set in place when you do all of this that there is a little safety net so that nothing is so cast in stone you can't be flexible in your plan? And I think a lot of people make the mistake of it's all set in stone. This is what it is. And you've got a, a son or daughter who moves to France because they got married. They're not going to be driving five hours to the cottage property. So what else can you do? And then also, how do you then change your estate plan that you may have in place, having already given away the cottage or figured that out? How do you equalize your estate? So one little thing, everything I, I look at, you may have one aspect of planning within your lifestyle and your estate plan. And then there's 10 other things that attach to that, that talk to your financial advisor. And because you can't know everything and there's so many different options and variables there that if anything resonated with any of the audience today, talk to Colin and Josh and flesh it out so that it's exactly what you want and not just a default as Colin mentioned. And just, to, just to add the added layer of interest, every four years approximately, we get a new federal government that has a new plan for us with regards to the taxation system. So again, I would expect that there'd be material changes over the next 20 years to any plan that you put in place. So again, the world we live in is a, a consistently changing place. Flexibility is absolutely king. I think we've, we've all learned that over our, our careers and lives up to this point. Carol? Thanks so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. We found a lot of great insight in what you had to share, and I'm sure a lot of our, our clients and listeners did too. Well, great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure speaking with both of you. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth Inc. IA Private Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth Inc. operates. Been well and you feel set up for retirement, but you can't help but feel like there are aspects of your financial plan that just haven't been addressed. Maybe there's money left on the table, a tax efficiency or opportunity for growth that isn't being properly managed. Doesn't hurt to check. Sticking with eh, it's good enough wealthplanning.com or .ca isn't going to do you any favors. Call us for a better opinion. should not be construed as legal, tax, or accounting advice. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice...